arrangement. Listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And it's time right now for the Nardwar to Human Serviette Radio Show. Today on the Nardwar to Human Serviette Radio Show, The Seeds of Time, an interview with Rocket Norton about his book called Lost in Space, all about prism the seeds of time and much much more and we began an artwork a human serviette radio show right there with a song called buzz the jerk by the pretty things which is mentioned in rocket norton's book or we'll find out if it is mentioned in rocket norton's book as an interview with rocket norton from the seeds of time from vancouver british columbia canada is coming up to prepare you for Rocket Norton, some Vancouver, British Columbia rock from the 1960s. And to begin with, to begin, to begin, to begin, to begin with, Rocket Norton's band, The Seeds of Time.
And you're still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwar to Human Serviette Radio Show. You just heard the collectors with Looking at a Baby. Before that, the Painted Ship, also from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. All Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada bands here today on the Nardwar to Human Serviette Radio Show. Kind of, sort of, but maybe not necessarily. But we'll find out exactly if they do tie in to the main thread today on an Artwater Human Serviette radio show, an interview with Rocket Norton from the Rocket Norton band, Prism, Hun, and the Seeds of Time. These are all 1960s bands that were around the time to Rotten, Rotten Norton's book. We'll find out if he actually is indeed that. It, was, it is actually quite filthy, too, so we can examine those aspects. So if you have any questions at all for Rocket Norton at 604-822-247, 604-UBCCITR. Again, Rocket Norton has written a book called Lost in Space, basically documenting everything in his life up to, like, 1972 or so. It's nice, big, and thick, and it's all based around Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada's rock and roll scene. So we heard the collectors. Then we heard the painted ship with, and she said, yeah. Before that, the Northwest Company with Hard to Cry. And before that, my hometown by the Seeds of Time. Coming up, Rocket Norton talking about his book, Lost in Space. But no discussion of Vancouver 1960s rock and roll would be complete without a nod to the Poppy family. Marina walks her life asleep. She never looks above her feet. She never smiles, nor does she speak. When Joey died, Marie went mad. She'd given him what life She'd help him fight and share his pain. Her very blood was in his veins. But there's no, but there's no. Blood and bone. 
Because 
You're still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwar to Human Serviette Radio Show. And who do we have on the line right now? Hello, are you there, caller? I am here, sir. Who are you? Well, we're going to uh, play uh, 30 questions. Who are you? <laughs> who am I? Well, that's what I wrote a book about. You are? Rocket Q. Norton. Rocket Norton from the Seeds of Time, Hun, Prism, and many other rock and roll bands, including the Rocket Norton Band. That was a long time ago. But you've documented it all in your amazing book, Rocket Norton, Lost in Space. That's amazing you should say that because it's on published by a company called Amazing Books. And it's amazing I should say that because we have the amazing, the legendary Rocket Norton live here on the Nardwarty Human Serviette Radio Show, the king of interviews as revealed in your book, Lost in Space. Your book, where is it available? Right off the bat here, Rocket, if people are interested. Where is your book available? I first got wind of it through the electronic media, like IE, as a Microsoft Word file, but I've seen copies at various outlets. Is it out there still, some places? It was. It was out there. But, um, in fact, the printed book is sold out. It has been, uh, it's all sold out now until the uh, publisher uh, reprints uh, another printing. So right now it's available as an e-book by going to rocketnorton.com. And there were so many little juicy tidbits in the book, Rocket Norton, I want to ask you about. First off, in the book, do you mention the band The Pretty Things and their song Buzz the Jerk? For some reason, I remember you mentioning that, so I began the Nardwarty Human Serviette radio show in honor of you with The Pretty Things, Buzz the Jerk. Love it. Yes, uh, yes, 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 to all the above. How did it come up? How did The Pretty Things, Buzz the Jerk come up? Way, way back in the 60s, uh, my first band that I started up in Win- at Winston Churchill High School in 1965, we started this band figuring it would be a good way to get chicks. And, um, and uh, we, uh, one of the guys in the band had come back from London with a whole pile of, 
of uh, singles, one of which uh, was um, The Pretty Things, Buzz the Jerk. And uh, it, 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 was, it was incredible because nobody had heard music like that, the Yardbirds and, and Pretty Things. And uh, so we started, you know, covering these songs or trying to learn them uh, in our primitive way, and, uh, which was good because the music was pretty primitive itself. What was the name of the band? Did you record any of those songs? Like, is there a recording of Buzz the Jerk out there somewhere? Mm, not by us. Um, uh, in, that, in fact, in those days, uh, there was recordings in Van- it were very rare in Vancouver. I mean, there was a couple of small studios, Aragon and Vancouver Recording, but there, uh, the, the industry hadn't really developed yet. Um, in fact, that's, a, that's a, an element of the book that I think is, is reasonably interesting, is that um, how the uh, Vancouver and, in fact, Canadian music industry kind of grow up around, around um, these, uh, these uh, wacky characters. What was the name of the band, though? What was the name of your first band, Rocket Norton? The name of the first band was called The Seeds of Time. That was So Seeds of Time were doing Buzz the Jerk? That's right, 1965. Because I found it interesting, Rocket Norton, 1965, you're doing Buzz the Jerk, but you don't actually get in a recording studio till 1970. It was like five years, and then My Hometown came out, and we played My Hometown to begin an Ardwater Human Survey at Radio Show after playing The Pretty Things. Is that true? It took five years for your first recordings to get out? Uh, yeah, it did. Um, you know, in, in those days, it was... You didn't you didn't think about music as a, in in the way that we think about it now, like like career, like how to you know, we didn't we didn't start doing it to to build a career. We we just we were just playing music, and um, we didn't have the facilities that we have now. I mean, now you can you can make a uh, a record in your living room, and uh, in those days, it, you know, there were only a couple of studios around. In fact, the studio that we recorded my hometown in um, was a like an eight track makeshift studio at 8th and Camby in the back of a, um, some kind of a, it was a shop out front, I remember. Um, so, you know, it wasn't even a legitimate studio. What was the name of the studio? Uh, just a minute. P- uh, PBS. PBS Studios, whatever that stood for. And after my hometown, I played Heart to Cry by the Northwest Company, who did seem to manage to be able to record. There were, and a painted ship I played after that. And then I played the Collectors. And in the Poppy family as well. And a Night Train Review, I think you joined in later years. And a painted ship. And an Orville Drarp there to end the great Jesus Marijuana. I just couldn't resist not playing it. So all those bands managed to record, but it took the seeds of time a little while to get into the studio. So how come they got in and you guys didn't? We were pretty young together. Uh, <laughs> we uh, the seeds of time was a was a pretty non functional um, uh, um, uh, enterprise. Uh, it was basically, um, I guess its 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 function was to rise at whatever time uh, people woke up, at whatever time of day or night that might be, and then try to make it through the day. Well, it seems like you were fairly organized, Rocket Norton. Did you keep a diary? I mentioned that because your book, how do you remember everything? You remember everything. Like, you even remember, like, all the waitresses at Gassy Jack's restaurant. How do you do that? That wasn't difficult. The waitresses at Gassy Jack's were memorable in every detail. um, But, uh, in fact, it it was difficult uh, to remember. And and, um, when I set out to, to write the book... I realized that um, right away. It only took a you know a few a few days of writing that I realized I couldn't do it on my own, and I started um, seeking out uh, people, some of which I hadn't seen in 40 years, 
some of which I tracked down uh, in Spain and uh, in, in Toronto and faraway places like Burnaby. And, uh, and I interviewed them. I interviewed them. I, uh, so you didn't keep a diary or anything back then? No diary? No, no. Actually, if I, if I had ever thought that I was going to uh, write a book about it, that probably would have been more interesting. Now, I wish the book was fictional. How much if the book is real? Because I wish it was fictional. It's, like, so amazing. I wish it was fiction. Like, you'd be an amazing fictional writer. But how much is it real? Is it fiction? All I- the, um, all the uh, illegal parts, I will state right now, were made up. To protect the names of the innocent. That's what I was going to say. How many names well, have been there changed? Weren't any, there weren't any innocent. <laughs> like, are you really Rocket Norton? We can prove there really was a Rocket Norton. Like, how many names have been changed? There were a few names changed in your book, weren't there? One. <laughs> one name. One name, yeah. One name was changed uh, by request. Other than that, the people came forward and uh, stood up for who they are. Because it is fairly amazing, Rocket Norton. Again, we're speaking to Rocket Norton, author of Lost in Space, a book documenting, I would say, the 1960s rock and roll scene in Vancouver, one of the few books to actually document it. It goes right up to about 1972, doesn't it, the book, and a bit beyond, but basically the 60s till 72. Uh, Actually, uh, 82. Oh, 82, okay. Yep, it goes to 82. Uh, the story, uh, this, this was a bit of a problem. Um, over the years, you know, you, you sit around and you tell stories, and, and, and people have said to me for years, you should write a book about this. And I thought about it a lot, and, and, um, and I kept coming back with the same, the same thing, which was that, you know, as an as a autobiography, I didn't think it would be very interesting, uh, just a collection of incidents. Um, but one day I woke up and realized that there was a story there, an actual story with a beginning, a middle, and an end. Uh, and it had, um, it had some, um, I, I think, some dramatic, uh, you know, importance. Um, and, and, I, and once I realized that the story started uh, in 19, um, early 1964 and it ended in 1982, then I could set about and tell that story, which is lots in space. I really like the way it begins in 64 when punk rock started and it ends in 82 when punk rock ended in 1982. Some people say punk rock ended in 1982 or peaked in 1982. So you got the complete punk rock attack there, Rocket Norton. Oh, I wish I could say I planned it that way, but it was just a coincidence. On page 95, how do you remember what T-card there was from 1970. You're talking about like a tea card from 1970. Is that a game from one of your interviews? You're right. I am amazing. You were right at the beginning. I don't know how I remember that or why, but I guess it's funny uh, when you go through life is the, the, the funny little things that, that you do remember and, uh, and carry on. But, but that little, those little tea cards, um, there could have been some, some kind of hallucinogenic um, you know, influence. But again, you know, I don't want to go on record right now as to admitting to something like that. Well, speaking of psychedelics and hallucinogenics, etc., Rocket Norton, what did your bandmates' family think of your book? And I mention this because I understand that Joey Shithead may have perhaps toned down his book, I Shithead, because he thought his kids will grow up and read the book if, you know, punk rockers eventually do end up reading, or at least their kids. Did you tone anything down because you were afraid any relatives, friends, or kids might be reading it? I did not. I didn't think that that would be... I, I mean, what? it didn't seem reasonable to write a book about what happened if I didn't write, if I didn't state what happened. 
So there so, was no impetus to maybe cut something out because you were embarrassed about something that might come out? What has the reaction been from friends or family? Did you show it to them before you actually did it, or did they read it and go, oh, I didn't think you'd put that in there? No, I. Um, uh, most of the main characters in the book are still close pals. And um, all the way through the writing of the book, they were involved in, in um, inter- you know, in interviews and then giving me, and uh, you know, I used to get emails almost every morning from from most of the people who are prominent in the book. Uh, this is this sort of answers your question about how did I remember? Um, I would get emails and somebody would say, "Hey, you know, remember in 1968 and we we drove up to Kamloops and you remember this thing that happened?" And um, and then I could put it kind of in a timeline. Then I would talk to the other guys and say, "Do you remember this?" And they would. And then between us all, you know, it all sort of come out. And um, so it it seemed the way it was said to me, stated to me by one of the people that's in the book is that if I had tried to write the book about twenty years ago or so, I probably would have had resistance from a lot of a lot of people involved. But the fact that it's forty years and it all happened so long ago, it's so far removed from from our lives now. It's almost like it was somebody else. Yeah, you know, it was um, it, it's so so. Not only were people uh, not against it, they were totally for it. Rocket Norton, you talked to your friends and family to get information in writing this book. However, there also seems a bit of like journalistic research in it because I think I was really you know you sealed the deal when I was reading the book when you mentioned nineteen eighties punk rock TV show Soundproof. Like you mentioned Soundproof in your book that maybe wouldn't have been mentioned and that almost seems like a bit of research on your part to put that in there. Well, it, the book took three years to write and that, and when I say that, I don't mean that I, that I um, wrote, uh, you know, um, when I came home in the evening for 10 minutes. It took three years of solid work to write that book and 90% of that time was spent researching. Well, thank you for mentioning Soundproof. You mentioned Soundproof. <laughs> well, I was well paid. Because, you know, sometimes people might think, oh, you know, it's going to be like some sort of memoir from a fat, folky, lame-ass, 1960 washed-up guy. And here you are throwing down Soundproof and everything in there. I mean, you talk about everyone, Rocket Norton. Even Mike Harcourt is involved. How is Mike Harcourt involved in the Rocket Norton Lost in Space story? Another uh, uh, amazing, uh, amazing uh, little incident. Uh, well, Mike Harcourt used to be a lawyer, and um, one of the uh, one of the girls in our in our story uh, got into some uh, deep, deep, deep trouble, um, and he got her out. Thank you, Mike Harcourt, and hey, you and Mr. you. Harcourt. And you even give some background on Tom Harrison. Like, instead of just saying music critic Tom Harrison, you give a little paragraph beforehand of, like, what Tom Harrison is from, where he grew up, all that sort of stuff. Like, you give a little background. Like, it really is some in-depth research there. Tom, I think, uh, is an important... uh an important element of of uh, Vancouver's music music scene. I mean, uh, you know, as I said, I think I said in the book, um, he he referred to himself as a music critic, like he, you know, he uh, and he, and it was his job to to you know criticize and and uh, and um, and give his opinions. And, and people who I think in the Vancouver area have appreciated that that opinion, and uh, which is why he's he's still with us. Well, I appreciate you giving the little soundproof info, the little background on Tom Harrison, who was on Soundproof. You're quite a wordsmith, too, Rocket Norton. You used the word portal. <laughs> it's in the dictionary. 
It's very nice. Portal. Plus, you love sex. You love sex, don't you, Rocket Norton? I guess I have to answer that, don't I? Well, you, you, I, think, I think it's reasonably evident, yes. And it's all smeared throughout the book as well. For instance... You don't hold any punches saying what was said to you. For instance, your girlfriend leaving you saying, it's not about the sex, I'm leaving you because I'm just leaving you and my new boyfriend is impotent. <laughs> I just state the facts. So your girlfriend left you for the sex and then said, your sex is good, but this guy's impotent. He's going to be better. That was the problem. He can't get it up. That's in the book. Well, we're still, we're still trying to figure it out. And I did not notice, Rocket Norton, your first typo till page 310. Well, you've got a good eye. 310. I didn't notice a typo. Like, I was 300 words, 300 pages in. It just well, was totally captivating me. Are you going to give it to me? What's that, the typo? I, I can't remember. Yeah. I just wrote it down. It was like on 310. I looked at it again and couldn't find it. But page 310, there's a typo somewhere on there. Just well, making... that's it. We're going to recall all the books and burn them. I thought it was great, though. You kept the reader into it until page 310 when the typo hit. And then I was just revitalized some more because I was thinking to myself when reading this book, Rocket Norton, and again, we're speaking to Rocket Norton, author of Lost in Space, available at rocketnorton.com. At first, I wanted pictures in the book to illustrate everything. But then after a while, I didn't want to know what the people looked like. Yeah, I, um, I, there was a reasonable amount of pressure from publishers to 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 include pictures as if you know like like you would in in a in a biography or autobiography and uh i i was totally against it i i just wanted people to come up with their own uh, their own mind's eye picture of of uh these characters and and um and so uh we left it at that there there are some there are some photos available on online though I finally did go there and looked at them for about two minutes and then didn't want to look any more at them because I had these impressions of all the characters in the book. Because it look is away, almost we're like hideous. a fiction. It was, you do use a lot of press clippings, though, don't you, in the book? There's quite a few press clippings. Um, yeah, whatever. I, whatever. See, I, n- I never collected anything. I was never a collector. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't collect press clippings or anything, but my mom did. And um, and I found this old scrapbook, and and some from time to time I'd be writing something, and then I'd come across this press clipping, and it and it actually agreed with me, and I went, wow, well I guess I guess I, you know I guess I am on the right track. It was kind of almost like um, being vindicated, you know. It's like wow, I, I I do know what I'm saying here. I'm not I'm not making this up. This did happen. And those are in the book, but they're not reproduced. You've just retyped them out. That's right. There's yeah, a lot. Yeah. So, go ahead. No, I'm saying I just did. I I, I didn't really want to, uh, you know, make it look like it was a, a textbook and have it, uh, you know, like I didn't want to get into photos and reproducing things. So yeah, I just um, I just uh, re, you know re, retyped them into the into the text. And there's so much of North Vancouver in the book Rocket Norton, your book oh, yeah. Lost in Space, the International Plaza Hotel. Tell us about that. Were there only twelve people living in the International Plaza Hotel in North Van, and you are one of the twelve? That was amazing. They, they built this beautiful hotel apartment, and uh, nobody lived there. We, uh, I can't remember what fo- floor we lived in. It was the 20th floor or something. Um, we were the only people on that floor. It had lit tennis courts. It had uh, double indoor swimming pools and everything. I never saw a person. 
it was like living in a great big, well, it was like Jack Nicholson in The Shining. You know, it was, uh, it was incredible. And then, of course, uh, people moved in, so we moved out. In North Van, you also mention a commune in the mudflats? Mm, oh, yeah. Yeah, that goes way back. Uh, Welch Street. Welch Street. It's not there anymore. And Pine- North Vancouver is still there, though. Yes, and Pinewood Studios. What was that like? Pinewood Studios in North Van? Did you record there or something? Pinewood Studios was a, a movie studio uh, way, way up above um, the upper levels. And um, uh, uh, a fellow named Stevie, Steve Grossman, Stevie Grossman, who was a, a DJ, um, opened, uh, decided to build a, his recording studio in there. And, um, and the seeds, that's where the Seeds of Time did give most of the recording um, of, our, of our little career. Uh, we did a lot of recording. Um, at that time, unfortunately, uh, none of it was ever compiled into an album. So the Seeds of Time never put out an album. It did eventually end up on CD, though, right? Yes. That, that was in, in the 90s somewhere. Um, a uh, benevolent uh, music lover came forward and, and, uh, and, um, and uh, financed the, the kind of... We um, found these old tapes and, and uh, reconditioned them and put them out as a compilation album. Now, Rocket Norton, you're from the Seeds of Time. You're from the Rocket Norton Band. You've written Rocket Norton's Lost in Space. You, of course, were in Prism, Han, Night Train Review, Unified, We Are One. That is amazing. Who are Visions? That is an amazing track. Uh, not who are Visions. What is Visions? Um, Visions was a, uh, a cognac hallucination that I had uh, on an airplane once. Um, I, I uh, way way back in the uh, early '80s, um, Paul Horn, who was a, a famous jazz flautist, um, he uh, he played a concert at the Vancouver Planetarium, and uh, I always thought that was pretty cool. So then I thought, what what wouldn't it be cool to do um, to write a piece of music that you could play in the Planetarium, where they could do their whole um, laser laser show thing that they were just developing. And um, and so I went to a couple of friends of mine, and uh, uh, John Hall, who was the keyboard player in the Seeds of Time and Prism, and a guitar player named Skip Prest, uh, who was with a group called Sweeney Todd back in those days. And uh, we wrote this, uh, this piece of music over a summer and subsequently performed it um, live at the Planetarium, which was the first. Never been done in the world, anywhere, at that time. And, uh, and it was pretty phenomenal. Another thing that you did that was pretty phenomenal, Rocket Norton, was you stopped the strap at Winston Churchill High School? Uh, yes, very, very uh, important sociological uh, incident. You were the one. You got it stopped. I was the one, yeah. How did that happen? Bravery? Uh, no, uh, actually the opposite. Coward, cowardy, cowardry. I, uh, they, wanted, they told me to put my hand out, and I said no. And then from then on, because of you, did kids, like, thank you for doing that? Oh, no. Who you? You don't need thanks for something like that. So you said no, and then did they say, well, we're going to hit you harder? What happened then? Well, they realized that they, there was nothing they could do about it. And, of course, I saw that in their eyes, and then I realized that uh, they couldn't do anything about it. And from that moment on, it was anarchy. 
An amazing little tidbit from Rocket Norton's Lost in Space book, available at rocketnorton.com. Rocket Norton from the Seeds of Time. Did you ever see the Seeds from Los Angeles or the other Seeds from Los Angeles? There was a Seeds of Time from Los Angeles featuring B-movie legend Johnny Legend. Never did see that one. I did see the Seeds, though, um, with, uh, just trying to remember the name of their... Sky Saxon. Guy Saxon, that's it. That's the guy. Yeah, it's on them. Did they come to Vancouver? Yeah, they played. Um, I think it was part of a, a, a group of ba- group group of bands. Um, might have been at the Agrodome. That's where the, that was the, where the concerts used to play before the Pacific Coliseum was built. So, was there any showdown between the Seeds of Time from Vancouver and the Seeds from LA? I'm sure they never knew we existed. <laughs> what did you think about them? Well, we never knew we existed either. You weren't existing at that point. Mm, probably not. Did you ever get confused for them at all? Uh, yeah, yeah. Every once in a, I know. Every once in a while, I think people used to kind of think we were that group from from LA. But we we were not um, we were not big enough to be really compared to anybody. Well, how did people know the seeds of time? Like when you went on tours and stuff, were they familiar with the single? Was the single a hit? Like I hear it now on Sea Isle. I hear your single on Sea Isle, my hometown. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't really go so far as to say it was a hit. Uh, it did get airplay, um, you know, across Canada, um, and we did go out and we did so-called tours. But you got to remember, our tours. I mean, when people think about tours, they think about trucks and roadies and 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 big buildings and thousands of kids, you know, uh, thousands of fans. When we went out and tour, the whole band would you know, would pile all the um, the band equipment into a little van, and all of us and a couple of friends and a dog or two would jump into the the van, and we would drive to Kelowna. And we would sleep on the ground, like we didn't even have a tent. And you were barnstormers. You were. We were saying. barnstorming, and we would we would um, we would hire a little hall in town. Which usually cost about three dollars or four dollars or something to rent it. And we put up posters and and um, you know charge a dollar admission. And some kids would come and and we play music and we'd take the money and put gas in the van and and uh, buy some hot dogs and move on. Rocket, that was our tour. Rocket Norton, how did Seeds of Time tunes end up on David Letterman? It must have. The only thing we can figure is that um, is that, that uh, Paul Schaefer, who is from Thunder Bay and is of our vintage, um, probably bought the single, um, the uh, My Hometown, because on the B side was this wacky little um, instrumental called Muskrat Rumble, and uh, which was a, a little sort of a skiffle song that uh, Lindsay Mitchell wrote um, and featured uh, him on the mandolin. It was an instrumental, and, but it was a rockin' little number, and, um, you know, uh, Schaefer likes to play all kinds of wacky little things um, when they go off to commercial, so we figure uh, he must have picked it up and played it for a while, and uh, and we got to, so, like, you know, 35 years after we recorded it, we got, you know, a great big giant royalty check. When did the Seeds of Time start doing originals? Oh, immediately. Well, almost immediately. I mean, uh, you know, we, we started covering Who songs and Pretty Things and Yardbirds and stuff like that for a while. And uh, almost immediately started writing songs. Were you guys the longest 60s band that carried into the 70s? Like, what other bands were still on the scene in 1970? Like, you started in 64. You were there all those yeah. years. What other bands were still on the scene still going at it? Because you were there. Well, maybe Applejack. Applejack became Trooper. Uh, they were around, and of course, they're still on the road. Uh, that's an amazing, now there's an amazing story. Um, 
And uh, I don't know, spring might have been still around then. Uh, of course, the collectors became Chilliwack, and and um, and uh, they're they're still out there. And so. we and we played a bit of the collectors too before you came on Rocket Norton, and you are Rocket Norton, author of Lost in Space. The barnstorming tours that we were on, those seemed pretty insane, just like showing up in a town and going for it, like renting a Nacusp Hall for five bucks. Yeah, Browse Hall. How about that? I remember that. Yeah, I guess I remember everything. Browse Hall. Boy, that was 40 years ago. You would just roll into the town, rent the hall for $5, and put on a gig, and hopefully people would come. That's that's it. Yes, rocket science. But you had the sub-a-lub getting you there. Sub-a-lub. That's blue bus backwards. How did that work so well? It was your amazing van. How did it work so well? Well, I don't know. It was a, it was a trusty friend. Um, somehow it, uh, it kept us alive as we, um, as we careened down um, icy roads in the middle of winter at 100 miles an hour. Did anybody else do the barnstorming like you guys did across Canada? Were there other bands out there that you ran into? Uh, probably. I did. We didn't. I didn't run it. We didn't run into any other bands. But I'm, you know, I I can't imagine that we were the only guys doing it. Did, there must have been someone out there. Did Did you ever make it to Seattle? Uh yeah, we did. We played the Eagle Auditorium a number of times and uh, uh, other places there. Do you remember the bands you played with? Do you play with any Northwest Legends at that time? Because at one point, didn't you fill in for Country Joe and the Fish on drums? You have done your research. Yes, I did. That was a thrill of a lifetime. However, you were not actually not on the bill that night, were you? You were just down there to check out the gig. <laughs> I was a fan. I was a fan that showed up to see the band, and the drummer, Chicken, Hirsch, was sick. And uh, Country Joe came out and asked if anybody could, uh, could uh, play the drums. And uh, my, friends, um, my friends said that, that uh, yeah, this guy can. And the next thing you know, uh, I was playing a gig with Country Joe and the Fish, who were my heroes at the time. So it was, uh, it was pretty darn cool. What sort of reception did the Seeds of Time get in Los Angeles? Sorry, get, well, actually, did you ever make it to Los Angeles? Where did you make it to? You made it to Seattle. Any further south? Did you make it to Portland at all? What sort of reaction nope. did you get in the States at all? Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. Um, people seem to, seem to like us there. Uh, but, but, you know, I, I, guess, I guess it was at a time when, um, when uh, it was, things, things weren't, um, what am I trying to say? That nowadays, it, it's, it's all marketing. You know, uh, it's all advertising and marketing. Uh, it seemed in those days, uh, wherever you went, I mean, people were quite happy to accept you for, you know, you just sort of show up and you played some music and some people liked it and some people didn't. And it was just much easier to be accepted. Do you remember who you played with in Seattle? Um, yeah. Uh, oh, the Magic Fern. The Magic Fern was one group. Um, boy, there was some good bands. Seattle actually has been great on a number of occasions. Um, in the early 60s, they had some really great bands. Uh, one band called the Sonics. Now, this is just a bit before the Seeds of Time got going, but... The Sonics, um, uh, they had some tremendous uh, uh, music. How did you get and, a hold uh, of their music? Like, how did you get a hold of Sonics or Whalers 7 Inches and stuff? Were they readily available? Was there good distribution? Or did you just no. get them at the gigs? No, there wasn't. There wasn't great distribution. Um, I'm just trying to, uh, Did you actually see the Sonics? 
I did see the Sonics, and I saw the Sonics at the Ben Shell at Kitsilano Beach. Definitely yeah. they were there. They played there, yeah. Because they've just reunited, and they played a couple months ago in New York. You can see clips of the Sonics reunited on YouTube if you go there. You can check them out doing this. Check, search, like, the Sonic Psycho with them at Cave Stomp. They're back together. What was that like? Like, the Sonics, I thought at that band show, like, Paul Revere and the Raiders played, too. Were there quite a few gigs that happened there? What was it like seeing the Sonics? There was, there was a lot. There, um, a lot happened at that. On a Friday night or a Saturday or something, you could go... Uh, down to the band shell, and there would be 10,000 kids, like, just just jammed. When, they, when Paul Revere and the Raiders played there, they couldn't get the band to, to, the, to the stage, so they had to get somebody's boat, like a, like a motorboat, speedboat, and um, they brought them in. I remember them all dressed up in those fancy American revolutionary um, uniforms with those frilly hats and the whole thing, sitting on the front of this little boat trying to get them onto the stage. How did the Sonics go over when they played? Oh, amazing. Just absolutely amazing. They were, I mean, it was like the Beatles, you know. Where did you get their records? Was it hard to get records from the band? No, uh, there, was a, there was a record company in town in those days, a record store, I mean, uh, called Kelly's. And um, for some reason, Kelly's uh, used to stop. I, I had their singles. I had that tall, cool one, which is an instrumental by the Whalers, and uh, the Witch by the Sonics, um, and then uh, uh, the Kingsman, of course. You know, with, with uh, you know the biggest, the biggest rock and roll song ever recorded, Louie Louie. Pretty amazing. Rocket Norton, what are your three dog night connections? Do you have any connections to three dog night? Hang on, I'm losing you. I'm on a cell phone. And you are. are. And you are, are you still there? I am. Are you still there, Rocket Norton? Yes, I hope so. Rocket Norton from Lost in Space fame. I was just wondering, do you have any connections to Three Dog Night at all? I do not, except that uh, the only connection I have, which is, <laughs> which is pretty far-fetched, um, was that the drummer, Floyd Sneed, um, was a Vancouverite. Now, I don't know if he was originally from Vancouver or not, but he, he was playing here in Vancouver. And um, he was playing with Tommy Chong's band at, at, uh, in a rhythm and blues band. And then he went off uh, to L.A., and next thing you know, he was the drummer in Three Dog Night. Because I will say right now, there is a connection. Now, it might ah. be a bit tenuous between you, Rocket Norton, and Three Dog Night, because Three Dog Night, of course were led by Chuck Negron, who wrote the book Three Dog Nightmare. And in the book, he talks about having so much sex, he split open his cock and had to wrap it in a towel and then go to the hospital. And that happened in your book, didn't it, Rocket Norton? In fact, it did. But I have to be totally honest to say that it did not happen to me. It did not happen to you. What happened there? Could you please explain, Rocket Norton? Well, I wasn't in the room at the actual time of of, um, of the injury, but I was uh, around um, to clean up the mess. And um, it seemed that somewhere in mid-thrust, um, something went wrong. I didn't know anything could go wrong like that, but uh, I said, let this be a warning to all listeners. And this was from Lindsay. Lindsay's cock got torn open in Montreal. This could be uh, the very person that this happened to. And... Uh, 
yeah, it was uh, it was quite an amazing sight. Boy, I tell you, that thing can produce a lot of blood. However, you were very lucky in Montreal because all you had was like a cock that was bleeding when it could have been your heart's bleeding because you actually had some run-ins with the FLQ. Well, we never had any run-ins. We had, all our part was to drink as much beer as we could. Um, but we, we found this place to drink in old Montreal called the Nelson Hotel. And um, in uh, history tells us that that was, in fact, Somewhere up in the upper levels in the in the hotel rooms themselves, where um, that's where some of the planning took place by that group. Do you remember of any of the French bands that you played with in Montreal? I do not. And were you offered a m- record deal in Montreal from who? No. Was it easy to get across the border, Rocket Norton? The border into Quebec? Yeah, like from Montreal, <laughs> i.e., to New York, that sort of stuff. Um, well, not really. Um, you know, it, it was for most uh, normal humans, but, um, but, you know, hippies in those days, you know, we were, we always got raked over, you know, and, um, and uh, crossing, you know, the border into the U.S. anywhere in the 60s was always tough, either, either way, um, you know, just because of, you know, the long hair and the, you know, that sort of thing. There was that whole, uh, there was that whole um, long-haired hippie thing, um, and border guards were were they all seemed to be from Mississippi. I don't know why, but uh, but yeah, we always had run-ins, um, and uh, you know, it, but not just not just there. We had them had them here too. I I did recall being turned away on a couple of occasions, just trying to go down to Seattle. Rocket Norton, author of Rocket Norton's Lost in Space, live here today in an Ardwarty Human Serviette radio show. Check out rocketnorton.com if you want to find out how to get a hold of the book, which spans Vancouver history, 1964 to 1982. I will say Vancouver history because it is really Vancouver's musical history documented by Rocket Norton and the adventures of his various bands, Seeds of Time, also Prism. And I found it interesting to learn you guys played... Northlands Coliseum in Edmonton, and in the next night you played to eight people in Red Deer. That has got to be some sort of record. Yeah, that's mostly that's almost true. Um, what we did was we we actually played the uh, in Calgary to a sold out uh, show in Calgary, and then it was one night off, and then the next night we were to play Northlands Coliseum, which is probably called something else now, but um, and that was sold out too, and there was a night off. So our manager, Bruce Allen, decided, well, we can't have a night off. We've got to play somewhere. So he got the um, promoter to put on a show in Red Deer, thinking, oh, this will be great. We'll sell that out, too. And they put us in a theater, uh, probably about 1,000, 1,500 seats. Like, it wasn't very big. And when we got there, we'd sold eight tickets. And there were eight people sitting in the crowd. And... Um, and so, of course, we, we didn't quite know, it was so, we were so shocked, we didn't know what to do. And then one of our roadies said, you know, well, you're going to put out a show. And we went, yeah, we're going to put out a show. And we went out and probably played the best show we ever played. What's interesting about that, I think, and there's quite a bit of interesting little tidbits in Rocket Norton's book, Lost in Space, is that you were playing like a huge Coliseum gig, and then the next night it was like, you know, eight people or whatever, like huge big gigs. This happens to bands all the time that they play to eight people, but you went from like a full-on big-time like rock show, like Coliseum, thousands and thousands of of people. One of the things that was hilarious about that show, you're looking out into the 
empty seats and you'd see this, you know, couple of faces here and there. But the funny thing was that the when you do a big rock show like that every night, you know, wherever you go, there's all these cliches that, that, that bands do. We all know what they are. You know, are you ready to rock and roll? And everybody goes, yeah, you know, and, and you know, we love you, Cleveland. Yeah. And uh, so our singer went out and he did the whole shtick. You know, so there's eight people there. And he goes, are, are you ready to rock and roll? Eight people go, yeah. yeah. It was quite, it was actually, no wonder it's memorable. What's your best driving feat, Rocket Norton? It was going from, like, Ontario to Saskatchewan in one day. Is that your best driving? Because you're the driver when the van's on tour. I'm the driver, you're yeah. The driver. What's your best feat? It's going from Ontario to Saskatchewan in one day? Ontario to Saskatchewan. Yeah, that probably was because uh, we... Uh, we played gigs on both nights. I mean, there was no days off. So we left the gig in Ontario, drove down through Minnesota, up into Manitoba, uh, and then across to Saskatchewan and made it with uh, two hours to spare. Absolutely amazing, Rocket Norton. The Seeds of Time house. Where was the Seeds of Time house, the band house you guys lived in? Is that still there? Uh, no, they, they, they tore it down after we left. <laughs> It, it was actually just inside Burnaby, uh, on on um, uh, I guess Southeast Marine Drive, just inside uh, in in Burnaby, and um, and uh, yeah, that was uh, that was uh, really um, what was the it sea was more of, than a house. What was the Sea of Turds? <laughs> ah, the Sea of Turds. Um, well, we we adopted a dog uh, whose name was Norton, and um, it was a great little dog. But, um, of course, none of us was in any condition to take care of a dog. We couldn't take care of ourselves. And uh, so we let him loose in the basement. We just said, okay, well, here in the basement. And, of course, he, um, he relieved himself down there, and it became known as the Sea of Turns. Was there also a snake that smoked pot in that house? Uh, no. We had uh, 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 smoke, uh, smoking snakes uh, um, up in Edmonton. Could you explain what happened there, Rocket Norton? Well, snakes get get pretty high. They are very mellow when they uh, when you when you blow smoke in their face. How did you find this out? Whose idea was it to find that out? Um, gee, you know what? I think it was mine because uh, most of the other guys had run from the room. Rocket Norton, this house you lived in was one of the places you lived, but then you also lived in another place with an old man who kept jars of semen. No, same place. Same place. When we moved into this house, it was a great big, huge house. Uh, there was a, a, a room, not a suite, but a room in, in the corner of the basement. And this old, this ancient old guy lived down there. And um, we couldn't get him to leave. And, he, you know, uh, we figured, well, we'd, he'd probably uh, leave. He'd be so disgusted with us. But uh, it was quite the opposite. <laughs> he was pretty disgusting. And in fact, but he did inspire a song. I hear a song coming on. Uh, uh, Jeff uh, Eddington, Lindsey Mitchell, and Steve Wally wrote a song called Mr. Dirty, which became uh, a real, um, a a classic Seeds of Time song. I was looking for that on the CD that is nicely included with your book, but didn't see it, actually. Yeah. um, Tragically, there is no really uh, decent recording. There are a couple of live recordings that aren't bad. And, they, and, and one of them is on the Seeds of Times um, uh, CD, which is called uh, Immortal, because we had a song called Make Me Immortal. Um, 
And so the title of that CD is Immortal, and it's on there. It's not bad, but I didn't put it on uh, my compilation because it's already out there. In your book, Rocket Norton, Lost in Space, you talk about necking with a 16-year-old girl who really was an 11-year-old girl. That's true. That's absolutely true. How crushed were you to learn that she was 11? Well, I was, I was only 15, so maybe the, uh, the, you know, the gap wasn't the full generation. But uh, um, when, when learning, upon learning of this, uh, I, did, I did exit by the window. And then later on, you had a 16-year-old girlfriend. I did so. And you let her drive your Corvette to school? Absolutely right. What was the reaction? What did her teachers think of you? And what did her friends think of you? Never met any of them. Did you do that sort of legal guardian thing that some rock stars have done where you actually become the legal guardian of your girlfriend? Like, how did that work? No, actually, she didn't. In fact, she... She was probably more my guardian than I was hers. Cause how old were you at that time? Uh, I don't know, 22 or 3. That particular car that she drove to school, it was a Corvette? It was a 1958 Corvette. And then you ended up using it on stage for a Corvette solo. Like, you're never one to not use something, are you, Rocket Norton? Uh, when, after the seed of time of being together a long time, uh, somewhere in the... Um, Somewhere in the early 70s, um, we played a dual show in Richmond with a group called Sweeney Todd. And they were the new hot group around. And we, we were kind of old. And we, we were kind of an old generation by that time. And um, so they had this huge show. I mean, the drummer, his, his drum set was bigger than our entire stage. And um, they were a big, big show. And so we set up our little, little act. Them and played our, and before the, uh, the the show started, before it was in an arena. It was in the uh, Richmond Arena, and sure enough, thousands and thousands of kids came. And sure enough, they all wanted to see Sweeney Todd. Nobody cared about us. So our singer Jeff Eddington, he kind of realized this. And he says, "Tell you what, Rocky. He says you drive your Corvette in behind the stage, park it right behind the drums here." So I did. So we went on and we played. And uh, when it came time to this little drum solo I used to do. He, uh, he came back to the drums, and he picked me up, and, and Lindsey Mitchell and Steve Wally got sticks, and they pounded on the drums, and he put me in the car. I, anyway, I started the car up, and he put the microphone in the engine, and I revved the engine up and just about, just about brought all the, the, the roof down with the vibration out of this motor. And, of course, it was exhaust fumes, and it was, it was the, the kids went absolutely nuts. So at that point, there was uh, no way to top that, so I just uh, peeled out of there and took off out and never went back. A Corvette solo, led by by Rocket Norton, author of the book Lost in Space. All of this is in Lost in Space, the book available at rocketnorton.com. So much neat little Vancouver tidbits in there. For instance, your declaration, it only took you 14 minutes to drive from New West to Vancouver. (laughs) Yeah, but those are one of those things that I I don't admit to now. See, when when you ask me about that, then I'll just say I made it up. Rocket Norton, what was early Cheech and Chong like? I remember uh, Cheech and Chong played, actually, at the gardens. Um, I think they were the opening act for someone like Boz Skaggs or, or someone like that. 
Um, but I remember them, the two of them, sitting uh, in these little little chairs and and doing their their stick. And um, that was that was just as they were coming out. That was sort of before they were like, you know, really really big. Rocket Norton, what were the Vancouver venues like back in the '60s and the '70s? Red Robinson has said it was the golden era of nightclubs in Vancouver. Like there were so many. Like you mentioned the Shanghai Junk, Gassy Jacks, Discotheque in Richmond, Whispers, the Totem Theater in North Van, the Bow Fiddler in Langley, where you played your last gig with Prism. Was it at the Bow Fiddler? Yeah, actually, uh, that might have been. But you've just um, the the nightclubs that you've just uh, mentioned. Actually, those nightclubs take uh, were around for a, a long time since the early sixties to the to into the eighties. But there were the, the the best time in Vancouver for clubs was the was the late seventies, uh, and in that era, I think that was the first time that musicians, not famous musicians, but just just, you know, meat and potatoes, solid earth musicians could actually earn a living just playing music, just playing their music. There were enough nightclubs around, and they were really popular that, that we could, we didn't have to have day jobs. Uh, you know, like in the 40s, for instance, I mean, all the big band guys that were so great, uh, not the famous guys, but the, the guys that played around town, they all had day jobs. You know, and they played on the weekends and, and uh, you know, or... or uh, sometimes at night, and they'd come home from work and have a little nap and go out and play. But in our era, there were so many nightclubs around, like the Body Shop or the Fraser Arms um, or Black Bart's out on um, Kingsway. And these clubs were packed with kids every night, which mean, meant that they were making the clubs were making lots of money, and they could pay the bands. Well, those venues were operating, but what about the actual bands? You, Rocket Norton, had to audition for your own band after starring in your own band for years, and then after 19 years in the Seeds of Time, you had to audition as well. What's this about auditioning for your own band? Well, you're getting you're getting very close to the end of the book, and. Um, I think it would be best to leave that as a mystery and let uh, your uh, your listeners, um, you know, uh, come to that part upon reading the whole story. How about the Painted Ship? I played them earlier in the show as we were waiting here to speak to Rocket Norton. We are speaking here live to Rocket Norton, author of Lost in Space. I played the Painted Ship. They are just total amazing 60s proto-punkers, screaming garage guys. What do you remember about the Painted Ship? Painted ship, unbelievably great. Like when you even mention the painted ship, I get I get chills up my spine. Those guys, I mean, see, this was an era when when um, there were only a, certain, a few rock and roll bands in the world. I mean, you know, there were the few British invasion groups, you know, the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and the Animals, and you can name, name you know, a handful. And there were some Motown groups, and there was a few groups, um, you know, from the, from the, um, the, 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 um, the Beach Boys and the, that sort of thing. There wasn't a lot of artists out there. And uh, so you had a group in your own town, someone like the Painted Ship, where uh, a singer with charisma... You know, and and guys that were were playing their own mu- you know, playing their own music. I mean, it, for you know, young kids around, it, it, it was it was amazing. I've seen pictures of them jamming with the Who. Were you there that night, like the Who jamming with the Painted Ship? No, I I wasn't there for that. But the Who uh, did come through a couple of times. In fact, 
the first time the Who came to town is is is, is um, they played the Agrodome, the aforementioned Agrodome, uh, and they were the opening band for Herman's Hermits. And I think after that gig, they went and they saw a painted ship and they jammed together or something like that. I've seen photos of that. Also, Rocket Norton, what about Mitch Mitchell almost jamming with you guys? What was he doing in town? And also, what about the monkeys showing up at your gigs? And Alice Cooper showing up at your gigs? They were brought to your gigs. How easy was it to convince these people to come to your gigs? Uh, pretty darn easy. Yeah, we, we had booze, drugs, and women. And who offered that? What was the line that you used? Um, well, you know, it's funny. It was like Jungle Drum. You know, if you arrived in a town you would, and, and you were interested, you could find the wine, women, and song pretty easy. And the and monkeys... In, in Vancouver, we were that. The monkeys, Alice Cooper and Mitch Mitchell, all partied with the Seeds of Time? Oh, yeah. Lots of... Uh, it's just a... I don't know. It was just a, a, a much, uh, a much uh, different, different time then, but... Um, but uh, yeah, guys used to come by the house, um, you know, after after playing shows here, and because we were open twenty four hours a day, you know, uh, we never closed. Rocket Norton, what about opening for the Velvet Underground? Like you guys in the seats of time, opened for the Velvet Underground. Yeah, awesome, awesome. We loved the Velvet Underground, and in fact, it was better than that. Um, our bass player Steve, uh, we played two nights with them at the uh, Retinal Circus. And um, the night before the Velvet Underground played which is, there... Which is now Celebrities. Which is now Celebrities, yeah. So the Velvet um, Underground played Celebrities. Correct. And um, the night before, though, they, uh, they played somewhere else. I, I, I don't know where, somewhere around here. And uh, John Cale, the bass player, fell off the stage and broke his wrist. So when they, the next two nights, when we played with them, our bass player, Steve Wally, got to play, um, got to play with the Velvet Underground. What happened to Steve? Is he still around? Oh, yeah. Everybody's still around. Everybody's uh, still walking the earth. What do you remember about the Velvet Underground gig, like, back then? D- did you have their records at the time? Was their record yep. out? What Absolutely sort of re- we did. What yeah. sort of reaction did they get in Vancouver? Because I know in Los Angeles they didn't do as well. How did they do in Vancouver? Well, you know, Vancouver audiences in those days used to sit on the floor, um, cross-legged. And, and people were, were pretty bombed most of the time. So... You know, you didn't get the reactions like you get now. You know, when you when you when 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 bands play now, you you know you expect you know people to go crazy. But in those days, you know, people would sit on the floor. So sometimes, when you didn't get much of a reaction at all, that actually spoke louder than than getting getting huge ovations. But and the underground were were pretty intense, pretty intense. So um, I mean, so their music was 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 pretty far out and. Uh, and so I don't think it really evoked that, you know, that kind of a reaction that, that, you know, we're sort of used to. Did they have any reaction to you guys? Did they go back yeah. to the Den of Iniquity Seeds of Time house? <laughs> Actually, they, they, they thought we were teeny boppers. Why was they, that? They called us teeny boppers. Well, you know, we got to remember, we were like 16, 17 or something like that. And uh, we were sort of toying around with uh, some, some, you know, some pretty heavy, heavy stuff in those days. And, and uh I just think that they thought we were sort of, you know, like, I guess, uh, weekend hippies or something. You also played with Ike and Tina Turner, Rocket Norton, from the Seeds of Time and Prism. Speaking here to Rocket Norton about his book, Lost in Space, with Ike and Tina in Kamloops? Yeah, that's right. An outdoor concert. Ike and, uh, Ike Ike and Tina yeah. in Kamloops. 
Yeah, and it was probably now that now that we look back on it, uh, it was probably right near the end of Icantina. So um, one thing I remember about it after after the show, which was incredible, she was she was just absolutely, you know, unbelievable, mind blowing. Um, and and then they they had this uh, Lincoln, they had this old Lincoln uh, with the suicide doors on it, and I remember her sitting in the back there, just just drenched in sweat, you know, that little skimpy outfit she wore and just drenched and and um at the end of the show and the door was open and ike was sort of standing around looking real mean and um and uh, yeah it's just an image that i still remember she just she put on a show it's just there were all these bikers there and you know they everybody's mind was just completely blowing <laughs> playing with ike and tina turner playing with the velvet underground and you did a gig with the birds too oh yeah we did a tour with the birds and uh, what yeah, we played with a lot. Of, you know, when you're around as long as, as I was, I guess you sort of end up touching base with just about everybody. <laughs> what version of the birds was it? And what are your memories at? Because in the book you refer to something not being too well. Because again, that old restaurant Gassy Jacks comes up where you see your girlfriend with the owner of Gassy Jacks in the corner yeah, of your that eye. Wasn't, yeah, that wasn't too good. But uh, yeah, so but but the um, the. The birds concert sort of happened in the middle of a of a um, of a sort of a romantic crisis, I guess you would say. So, so there was a lot going on. How about T Bone Walker? How did he T-Bone end up in Walker. Vancouver? I have no idea. It's a mystery. But he, there we were playing a gig. This little old man starts shuffling up towards the front of the stage, and we're just sort of watching him, and he and he sort of gets himself up on the stage and. Takes the guitar away from from Jeff and starts talking in the microphone and and we, he kept saying, you know, we're gonna do the blues. And he says the band know what it is, and of course we didn't know who he was or what it was or anything. And he starts strumming this, you know, a few few chords and he wanted us to play along and he started singing Stormy Monday Blues and turned out to be T Bone Walker. So the owner of the little club we were playing at uh, sent out for some five star whiskey. And next thing you know, we were playing all night. Rocket Norton, lastly here, winding up, there's some ladies mentioned in the book. Whatever happened to Tracy? Whatever happened to Megan in Regina? Whatever happened to Donna? They're still around. They're still with us, I'm happy to say. Tell me about Doris Maxwell. I'd love to. Who's Doris Maxwell? I thought you know who Doris Maxwell is, Rocket Norton. You're talking about Doris Maxwell. Yes, Doris, I'm sorry. My ears, you know, after being a drummer for 40 years, you can't hear anymore. Actually, I'm still surprised you can go on airplanes, because in the book, you mentioned you can't yeah. ride on airplanes anymore. Well, I can, but it, uh, it hurts. But Duras, Duras Maxwell is a drummer, um, lives in Vancouver. I believe he still lives here, and is probably one of the greatest drummers in history. And um, he... Uh, I took lessons from him. Well, I took a lesson from him. <laughs> that was about all I could handle. What bands had he played with? Is he the guy that was in Ultravox? Isn't there a Vancouver Ultravox connection? Well, there is, but that's Warren Cam. Uh, Warren Cam was a Vancouver drummer who went off to London in the uh, early 70s and uh, starved to death uh, for a number of years and basically lived on the street and, and um, fell in with a bunch of guys. And next thing you know, they were Ultravox and basically uh, were the pioneers of uh, techno-pop music. What about Duras Maxwell? Now, Duras, I don't really know what happened to Duras, um, but Duras was, uh, was a, just an, an incredible uh, technician uh, of, of drumming. 
What recordings can be heard? That, uh, well, he played on Doucette's album. I know that. And he played, I, I'm pretty sure he played on, um, on uh, Bobby Taylor and the Vancouver's uh, Does Your Mama, Mama Know About Me? But he probably played on lots of stuff. I mean, but uh, oh, you'll have to talk to Doris about that. Did you know Rocket Norton here? Winding up with Rocket Norton, author of Lost in Space, all about Vancouver rock and roll and beyond, and cock splitting as well. RocketNorton.com. I would like to ask you about Michael Viner's incredible bongo band. Do you know Michael Viner's incredible bongo band? I wish I did. Because that was recorded in Vancouver. I was wondering if you knew any of the session players that recorded on that particular record, which became the basis of hip-hop. Well, you know how much I like the bongos. I imagine you probably love the bongos. Oh, yeah. Because you are Rocket Norton, and rockets go into space, and space needs some entertainment, and bongos are easily portable into space. Right there, Rocket Norton? Well, when I go, I'm taking them with me. Rocket Norton, Rondi Bachman, he held additions for his band at a Mormon church? He uh, Actually, he did. Um, that's how uh, uh, Trooper played. I think they might have still been Applejack then. Um, Played a gig at um, at uh, the, the church he was an elder at, and um, he liked them so much he signed them to his record label, and um, so the, the agency that um, that booked the Rocket Norton band um, said, "Hey, we we want to get you to play uh, at Randy's, uh, you know, uh, church," and we did, and sure enough, he liked us too. Jerry Garcia, Rocket Norton, you gave him a ride. I gave him a ride. Was that around the time at a Country Joe and a Fish gig in Seattle? Where, uh, where did, where did in the, that era. Where did the Grateful Dead play in Vancouver? They, they, you know what, they actually played quite a few times in Vancouver. Um, I know they played the Gardens, uh, the Vancouver Gardens uh, P&E at the P&E uh, on a few occasions. They played, um, I'm pretty sure they played the Forum as well, that old the echoey building out there. Um where else did they play? They they did, may or may not have played the Afterthought. Did they play that little gazebo there in the West End, that little bandstand? That could be true, too. But um, but it, it was during those summers that the Seeds of Time used to go out on our little barnstorming tours. So some of those, you know, some of these events happened, you know, during uh, the times of, that, that we were away. Rocket Norton, when did you give Jerry Garcia a ride? What was the circumstances behind that? They had played a gig, and they had uh, somewhere in Vancouver on a Saturday night, and on a Sunday there was going to be a be-in at, at, at Kitts Beach. And they had agreed to play, but, but they didn't want to set up all their gear, so they said they would play on the Seed to Time gear. So the Seed to Time, having had played a gig at a frat house out at UBC the night before and were too, too stoned to pack up our gear, decided to go get it the next day, and when we did... Jerry Garcia said, hey, well, look, I'm going to come with you. And uh, he came with us, and off we went in our little stubble-up out and picked up the gear, and he stood in the parking lot and smoked a joint while we, um, while we uh, packed up our gear. And then we all um, happily uh, drove down to Kitts Beach, where I think we were too stoned to play. Well, thank you so much for calling into the Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show here today. Rocket Norton, author of... Lost in... Lost. Nardwar, this has been an extreme pleasure.
Well, I really appreciate you phoning in, and sorry it took one year to interview you. It took one year to, in, to read the book, because it really is that informative. There are so many little tidbits all throughout the book, not just talking about Seeds of Time, but also rock and roll bands. I guess I was wrong. I guess I thought it ended in 1972. I, it was just, it, I, I didn't want it to end. It was just filled with so many little chunks. But are you still in Prism? Are you still in Prism? Because no. Prism played like a couple summers ago and kicked ass at a P. Are you still in Prism? No, no, I, um, I actually, um, I, le- I left the prison band in, ni- in 1994 and got into the theater business and produced uh, theater shows. So um, I haven't actually played with the band. Uh, my, my, my lifelong best pal, Al Harlow, um, it runs the prison band now. We are now going to end Rocket Norton with your track Supergirl. What can you tell the people about Supergirl by the Seeds of Time? Again, this is Rocket Norton, author of the book Lost in Space, available at rocketnorton.com. Seeds of track. Time, Supergirl. I love this track. This is an Al Harlow track. It's Al Harlow singing. Uh, he wrote it. He sang it. Seeds of Time played it. He was actually in the Seeds of Time at the time. And the, but one of the things I love about it is we, we wrote and recorded this song in the summer of 1970. It was kind of a magical year um, and uh, where, where, you know, anything was possible and, and probable and everything happened. And, and I love, you know, I just sort of love the track. It, it probably means more to me than other, other humans. And when they hear it, maybe they don't get the same out of it. But it was my CD, so I put it on. Well, if they buy the book... They get the CD. So why should people care about Rocket Norton, Rocket Norton? They shouldn't. Well, thanks so much, Rocket Norton. Anything else you want to add to the people out there at all? No, I was just, uh, just I want to thank you so much for uh, doing your show, and uh, we all love you, and uh, keep on keeping on. All right, well, keep on rocking in the free world, Rocket Norton, and do do the loot do Wise words. <laughs> <laughs>
following is a live presentation of CITR News.